You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, returned from his trek to an NFL training camp is my co-host, my partner in crime. You guys know him. You love him. As the lead NFL writer for Heavy.com, he is Zach Kelberman. Zach, you made a, a trip. It's not too far from where you live, you know, a, a morning's drive, if you will to go cover the Carolina Panthers. I know this is a Denver Broncos podcast, but I wanted to see how your trip to cover uh, Panthers on assignment for Heavy.com went yesterday. It, it was really fun, Chad. It was interesting. You know, the trip started, it wasn't a morning drive. It was like a super late night, 4.45 a.m., hit the road, kind of one of those kind of drives. But uh, once I got there, it's at uh, Wofford College in Spartanburg. It's a smaller facility, but, you know, I'm not going to talk about too much Panthers-related stuff. It was an amazing experience to be up so close to the players, be up so close to the action. And as a football fan, Chad, just as we were at the combine, like we were talking about, as a football fan, it really can't get much better having that access and having that privilege and that honor uh, to be representing an outlet and be covering NFL training camp. Both teams, it was the Panthers and the the Bills had a joint practice. Both teams were very physical. It was very hot and humid day, and they got after it. Uh, Ron Rivera, the Panthers coach, very funny guy, very down-to-earth guy. It was a great experience, Chad. You know, I'm always down to see other training camps. I have something in the works, hopefully, for the Falcons. So I'll be reporting a little bit and uh, hopefully – uh, some Broncos fans anymore. You guys won't <laughs> unfollow me on Twitter for it. I'm still no. fixed on the Broncos. Yeah, people ask me on Twitter, like, are you reporting for the Panthers now? What are you doing? I'm still a Broncos guy. Like, my heart lies with them. But I'm going to still just bop around to other beats and yeah. kind of see what's out there. And you cover the NFL at large now. I mean, you've always covered the yeah. NFL. You Your focus has, it was narrowed to the Denver Broncos for that three-year period. But now it's just expanded. It's not that the Broncos are no longer a focus of yours, obviously. And that's what people need to understand is you also have a job now that's covering the NFL at large, and that's cool to hear. You know, Riverboat Ron, uh, I watched the last season of, uh, what's it called, All or Nothing on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime, for those of you. It's If you like Hard Knocks, which is HBO's four-episode deal that basically just covers a training camp this year, of course, uh, the Oakland Raiders. If you like that kind of thing, you know, you're in the meeting rooms, you're hearing the conversations, the exchanges, this and that behind the scenes of an NFL team. One cool thing about All or Nothing that's different is it's all season long, you know, because as cool as it is to see these no-name guys and rookies trying to make a club, you know, on Hard Knocks, it's a lot more uh, educational. You learn a lot more about how NFL teams operate when you see them and what's going on behind the scenes in actual regular season action, Zach, where you know the games count, the stakes are high. And watching it, my the point of this little tangent, watching All or Nothing, you know, made me appreciate the man that Ron Rivera is. He's he's just a quality dude. He is, and a lot of people criticize his coaching. A lot of people bring up the you know the the Super Bowl and things like that. But he really is a good guy, and and up up close and personal, he's very 
communicative with reporters and he's always available for uh, little interviews and media sessions. And I, I put it on Twitter. I mean, he brought his, his service dog out. He's training as service dog, a service puppy. And he got on the ground with them and starts feeding him water out of his personal water bottle out of his hand. I mean, he's just a really good down-to-earth guy. And when you see these guys, Chad, as a human level and you strip away that they're players and they're millionaires, they really are just like you and me. And we were talking about that at the Combine, too. It's to take the human element and see it up close. It gives you a whole other, a whole other perspective, not just someone that writes about the NFL, but just follows the NFL and has his whole life. Amen. Well, we'll look forward to uh, some more written content on your on your trip there and in what you Appreciate have it. to report. Yeah, for sure. Um, today, we, we're going to go through some quarterback action here for your Denver Broncos. Touch on something that Noah Fant said this week that was of interest. But first, a reminder for our new listeners, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. That's how you stay engaged. That's how you stay on top of everything that's happened with the show in real time. If you're a new listener on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you're liking and commenting, sharing out these episodes. And the same goes for iTunes. If you like what you hear and you're a, an Apple Podcast listener, we'd appreciate it. You give us a, take a second, give us a five-star rating and a creative review. Fantasy football fans, you got to listen up. Do you want to join the biggest NFL season-long tournament ever? Of course you do. If you love fantasy football, and we know you do, then you need to enter the $3.5 million best ball championship on draft. That's right, $3.5 million in real money. It is absolutely enormous. It's huge. It's season-long. But there's no management. You just set it, you forget it. So instead of agonizing over your lineup every single Sunday, Draft does the analysis for you, gives you the most efficient, best odds to win your matchup lineup week in and week out. You do a draft, 16 weeks later, you could be a millionaire. Literally. It does not get any easier than that. It's the highest rated fantasy app, and it's available on the App Store and Google Play or you can just go online to draft.com. For a limited time only, you can get a free entry into the Best Ball Championship when you make your first deposit. But you have to use our promo code HUDDLE. That's right, a free shot at a million dollars just by using our promo code HUDDLE when you make your first deposit on Draft. Also, a phenomenal way to support the Huddle Up podcast. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to draft.com and come play free with promo code HUDDLE. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach, I want to get to some quarterback talk here. First, though, let me derail the conversation on a topic that is of utmost importance, I think. And it's something that's been on the minds of Broncos fans. I've gotten, you know, not so much lately, but especially the first week and a half of training camp, I was constantly getting blown up on social media by fans who were kind of wringing their hands over the fact that Noah Fant was not just, you know, blowing the doors down and that he seemed to be struggling and that at times he was observed with veterans jumping on him about finishing plays and, you know, showing more effort. And, you know, the early returns weren't exactly encouraging, but again, he's a rookie. It's his first exposure to the NFL. A lot of, a lot of wheels turning in the old mind of Noah Fant. Well, through two preseason games, he's been – I would say more than solid in the limited reps he's received. He's looked really good as a blocker, especially, which is probably the biggest surprise for a lot of fans, you know, especially surface fans who might have read one or two, you know, quick reports on him when he was drafted that he's a great receiver. 
you know, needs to work on his blocking. Well, in at least his first two NFL games, his his main deal has been blocking. He's hauled in a couple of catches in each game, but he hasn't benefited from the greatest of quarterback play either. So I say all that to kind of set the stage for what Noah Fant said earlier this week following a Denver Broncos practice in which he said, quote, I feel like things are slowing down a lot more as we go along. At first, it was very fast and a lot of things at once, but definitely getting a hang of the offense a lot better, and things are starting to slow down for me. I'm able to slow down and get my progressions and things like that, so it's been good, closed quote. And as I wrote in the article before I serve this over to you, Zach, one thing I think a lot of fans at times, and media especially, fail to account for, especially with young players, is how much the learning process can slow down a rookie's production, why they don't hit the ground running. Basically look at it like this. If a player is thinking, he's probably not doing, or at least he's not doing at the utmost of his ability. Yeah, it's, it's true, and that's why so many young players talking about the game slowing down for them like fancy because it's not just getting on the field and catching passes. It, it's really absorbing the nuance of being an NFL player. It's coming into work every day and, and developing yourself entirely to your craft, and he had a long ways to go, and right now his – uh, his self-upgrade and his promotion in his mind, it's all relative. I mean, he still has a long way to go. He's not cemented as a starter. He's definitely not a household name. And I still believe he's a 2020 uh, player. That's what they drafted him to be for. Not this year mostly, but for next year. He will get to that stage, but he's not going through the up-and-down process yet. Uh, it's going to take the entire season. He's going to have to fail, just like Drew Locke, just like Draymond Jones, just like some of these other younger players. It's not easy. It takes at least a full season uh, sometimes quicker depending on the position, but for him, I think this t- entire year he can get on the field, uh, shore up his blocking, make some receptions, get in the end zone a couple times, and then go into 2020 with a starter's mentality. It's all building blocks right now, but he's going to still take some steps back. Hopefully, though, he can take more steps forward. I mean, dude, there's been times watching these first two games and breaking down the film where I'm going back and re-watching some of his reps where he's just dominating dudes in the blocking game. Like, just blowing up, like, taking on a defensive end and just putting him in the dirt. And, you know, you compare that to some of the other young players, some of the rookie class even from last year that are now in year two, like your Cortland Suttons of the world, your Deshaun Hamiltons, where, you know, you're expecting to see them turn a corner or show at least signs of turning a corner. And it's been crickets, at least through two games. Now, again, those first team caliber guys have been very limited in terms of their reps, but Noah Fant... You know, he might have struggled to get kind of get going when camp opened, but he's done nothing aside from that one drop in the first game that has detracted from his, you know, first round cachet in my mind. And another thing I want to point out for fans is that, you know, when you talk about all the things that, you know, we've we've used the uh, the example of, you know, the buffering wheel, right? When you're going from one web page to another and your, maybe your connection isn't the greatest and you get the buffering wheel and it takes a little time. Well, some of the things that Fant is that are uploading into Fant's brain and why you're getting a little bit of a buffer, in other words, a difference between thinking and his ability on the field translating his talent, is there's so much on his plate. And I want to just read this quote from him that is a good example of all the different wheels that are turning in his head in real time. And again, I remind everyone, the more a player, a young player is having to think instead of just react, the less you're going to see that natural talent come out. It's going to be a lot more robotic. It's going to be a lot less 
powerful or impactful. Now, this question, Zach, he was asked, you know, hey, what do you think has been the biggest, the toughest thing for you? Has it been blocking? Has it been the playbook, the receiving, uh, being a receiver? What's been the toughest thing? He said, quote, I'd say it's a combination. Our defense does a really good job of disguising different looks that they're going to get into, and that comes in run game and the pass game. Pass game, obviously, disguising different coverages that they're going to shift to, to roll to, and things like that. And then as far as the D-line, they have all kinds of different stunts and movements and things that they do that makes it a little bit more difficult in the run game because you're not going to block one set position. You could be going down or out a little bit more than usual, so you kind of just have to pay attention to those things and get used to those in practice, close quote. Now, if you think about it, that's a lot of real-time information for a young player to process. Meanwhile, he's still learning his assignments. He's got a position coach railing on him. And, oh, by the way, he's got to also haul in the catch and then make a big play. It's a lot right now. The wheel is buffering, but eventually it's going to all come together. It is a lot. And Scangarello asked a lot of his tight ends. And you made a great point, Chad, I believe on Twitter or on the pod after Pax Lynch's performance, and he played so well, relatively speaking, against the Broncos because he just played. He wasn't thinking. He was loose. He had nothing to lose. And those are the best players, and those are the most dangerous players. When someone gets in their own head and becomes their own worst enemy, they sidetrack themselves. It's why Xanax exists. People do it in all facets of life, and you see it on the field, and maybe at first, Fant was overthinking. He was being overly critical, and if, if slowing down to him means he's just reacting and just playing and letting his natural talent shine— uh, he will progress faster than the Broncos, I think, anticipate. I still think, ultimately, though, 2020 is a year to circle for him. He's still going to have some mistakes this year. He still has to earn his keep and prove his worth, according to Vic Fangio. But once he does, it's a position that he won't relinquish, Chad. And if fans can remember, listeners, man, like, before the Broncos ever hit training camp and the intensity got ratcheted up a couple notches, we said on this podcast the same thing, that, you know, you're going to see the the step forward probably from Fant in 2020. And in 2019, if you see it, it's going to be probably the second half of the season, just because there's just still so much trial and error going on for him. And so the learning process, he's still swimming in that sense. And so as a fan, I would take encouragement in terms of all that is going on with him mentally to see that when the when he gets to a game, he still finds a way to turn it on. Now, if you try and extrapolate what you've seen from him in two preseason games and very limited reps with a first-team offense, with a Joe Flacco throwing the ball, you know, I think it's encouraging. I think there's going to be some he, – he still has a great chance anyway, Zach, to, to surprise people this year. But it's still – it's going to take a little bit of time. Everyone just needs to give it to him. And, and the same as I've said about Drew Locke before – with regard to Fant, the cream always rises to the top. Yeah, and nothing really ultimately significantly has changed in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they really do need to give it time, Broncos fans. And it's the same message I have with every player every single week. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Don't expect Fant to be a Pro Bowler this year. And don't declare him a, a first-round bust after two preseason games. Just let it play out, let him progress, and you will have a nice player on your hands. You have to be patient. It's the same thing like you said, Chad, with Drew Locke, Jones, any of the Broncos' young players. It takes time. All right, let's let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. And, uh, you know, we got two games, obviously limited reps in terms of how the Broncos have divvied up the quarterback snaps. Through those two games, four Broncos quarterbacks have combined for 122 snaps. And I want to go through and touch on just, you know, a fair evaluation on what we've seen from each guy. 
thus far. And since he is the number one quarterback, and it's the least we've seen from a quarterback, let's start with Joe Flacco. Now, if you think back to that one drive he got against the Seahawks, which of course was his NFL debut with the Broncos, the Broncos went on a 78-yard drive, 12 plays, something like that. You know, he didn't really push the ball down the field because, Zach, he had two running backs in Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman who consumed nine of those 12 touches. A couple of them were receptions from Flacco, but they were both a couple of little dump-offs out of the backfield. So he, he didn't really have to uh, push the ball, and the only time that it really fell on him was when he tried to convert that third down in the red zone to Cortland Sutton, and it was either just a miscommunication, a poorly ran route, or simply a bad ball. But before we dive into some of these other quarterbacks in which we've had a larger sample size, what's been your what was your take on Joe Flacco game one? Well, to me, that was a badly thrown ball. And, you know, it's hard to outthrow, you know, Cortland Sutton, who's 6'4", but he did do that. Sutton ran a nice route. But other than that, I think he commanded the offense well, Chad, down the field. As much as we can glean from one uh, possession of a preseason game, he looked the part. He looked like he had better command of the huddle than Case Keenum. They had a little bit of a mix-up there with Philip Lindsay, but it turned into a nice gain. I can't really say good or bad. He looked like uh, a small upgrade over Keenum. He looked like about where I thought he'd be at this stage in his Broncos career, Chad. Yeah, I can't disagree. I can't disagree. He finished that drive, three of four passing, 19 yards, and a quarterback rating of an 84.4. So one thing I liked, though, here's what I'll say just to expand a little bit. You know, it's one drive, but what I loved seeing on that one drive, of course, they came up short and had to kick a field goal, but – I loved how there was multiple players involved in that uh, drive, moving the ball down the field. And in that sense, I think the opposing defense, the Seahawks, didn't quite know who to key into, right? They weren't quite sure who they needed to lock in on. And in that sense, I think it's going to give, in Scangarello's offense, with Joe Flacco being the trigger man, one of the big differences between, say, Peyton Manning arriving in Denver in 2012 and Joe Flacco arriving this year is I think that the onus isn't going to be so much on Flacco to be the source of the playmaking. Now, he's got the ability to be a playmaker. He's He's been in the league a long time. He's got a big arm, and he can sling it when he needs to. But in this case, I think he's going to be in a situation where, you know, there will be some tough matchups. There will be some bumps in the road. But for the most part, I think he's got such a talented and young and explosive supporting cast that – They can take a lot of the pressure off in that sense, or or not so much take it off him, but to where he doesn't have to be necessarily the difference on a snap-in, snap basis of the Broncos moving the ball. This is an offense that, I mean, opening possession, going 78 yards on 12 plays, that portends well, I think, for how this, this unit can operate in 2019. If the Broncos depend solely on and strictly on Joe Flacco, they're in a, a, for a world of hurt, Chad. They are the sum of all their parts, and their bread and butter is still the running game. It's why they kept using Philip Lindsay so much. It's why they kept having so much success. It's just what works for them. If anything, that one series for Flacco said more about Scangarello than it did Flacco. The way that he's calling plays, the way his identity is shaping up for this offense, it's going to be a very run-heavy scheme, and Flacco is just that cherry on top. He used the run to set up the pass. Get Philip Lindsay going, Royce Freeman going, then you have play action down the field to your receivers. On paper, it could be a beautiful, a beautiful thing. We just have to see it, uh, the chemistry play out just a little longer. All right, we got to shift gears, talk about these other quarterbacks on the depth chart. First, though, we got to take a really quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> 
While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Zach, before we get to the two rookies, let's talk about Kevin Hogan, who, in fairness to him through the first two games, has been that next quarterback on the depth chart. The first game, uh, I think we're, we're, it was pretty clear that he seemed to be the most poised in terms of having command. Uh, he was able to lead a drive, a scoring drive for the Denver Broncos that resulted in that Kalfani Muhammad sc- uh, ground, that touchdown on the ground. And then in game two against the Seahawks, man, he was wildly mm. inaccurate, threw a ball that ended up was so off target that it ended up costing Theo Riddick six to eight weeks, injuring his shoulder. And where it's kind of devolved to at this point is not only was he not running second team in this week's practice following the Seahawks game, he has consistently been the scout team quarterback, which tells me, Zach, that he's not much longer for the Broncos roster. Yeah, and the game film screams, you know, Jag quarterback, journeyman quarterback, and that's what he is. And I hate to break it to the Broncos who resigned him and they had some faith in him, but he's just, he doesn't do anything exciting. He can't literally scramble outside the pocket. He looked ridiculous. It was cringeworthy. I don't want to bash him too much. In the first game, he looked at least capable, passable. You could get by with him in a backup's capacity. But the, the next game, he took a major step back, and Drew Locke took a major step forward. So I think if uh, he loses his job the next couple days, week or whatever, it's because of that game. He was just uninspiring. He literally did do nothing 
uh, positive in that game. He had no positive, strong takeaways he could bring to the table to keep off Drew Locke for another week. And combine that with Locke's uh, sort of coming out party, that's what spells scout team for Kevin Hogan. It's just, it's the unfortunate end of the business, but when you don't produce and a, a team drafts a quarterback in the second round, then signs one as an undrafted free agent, you're probably in trouble. Not only that, but this these injuries now have made the roster math a little bit fuzzy for the Broncos, especially at the running back position and linebacker, obviously, too. And the Broncos could use that additional you know, million bucks, whatever it is, just shy of a million bucks on their salary cap. So I, I think you know he might survive throughout the entire preseason for all we know. But if you really want to get meaningful reps, not only to Locke, but also to Brett Rippon, who you obviously see some kind of upside potential in, the sooner you can rip that Band-Aid off and then also give Kevin Hogan a chance to catch on somewhere else, I think the better it'll be for everybody. Now, let's turn the page and talk about Drew Locke. Now, before I run, you know, uh, wax eloquent on Locke, what's been your, you know, your gut observations on him through two games? Well, I had to kind of scream at Broncos country multiple times saying he wasn't a bust after the first game. We both did, Chad. He wasn't great. He was certainly shaky and frenetic and nervous. He definitely wasn't a bust, though. He grew up in the second game, as we talked about, took major steps forward, had more of that it factor, showed off his arm, almost mounted a fourth quarter comeback. He's like a whole different quarterback in that game, Chad, and he's going to continue to grow. Uh, he's still, though, as raw as you'd expect him to be. I'm not drawing any different conclusion. He's going to have his ups and downs. He's a natural gunslinger. He's going to follow up a touchdown with a pick. That's just the type of quarterback that he is. But he will continue to grow week by week by week. And if there's anyone on this roster who the Broncos and their fans have to have patience in, it's true luck. You've got to just invest because it will pay off. It will. There's no, there's no if. It's when. We've talked about a few of the throws he made in that Seahawks game. And before I get to that, though, just a quick reminder for people. Like, he, you could tell he was disjointed a little bit and kind of, you know, for, for all the poise Kevin Hogan showed, for example, in the Hall of Fame game, Locke really didn't seem to have command of what was happening. He seemed a little skittish and all that. But he still went 7 of 11 passing in the reps that he had. So it wasn't like he completely tanked it up. Meanwhile, in the second game, there were multiple throws he made in that game against the Seahawks that made me sit up and take notice. Not just like, you know, it was a successful play, good for him, he made, he got the completion, but a few big boy throws in key moments that made you not only recognize his knack or potential and ability for making a big play, but also the fact that he, he was operating in those situations at kind of a the next level that you would expect to see in his second preseason game. We've talked about that throw he made, the first third down completion that he had to Troy Fumagalli, in which he basically, in the face of interior pressure, threw into the future before his target even came out of his break. Beautiful completion. They moved the chains. There was a few other ones, including that needle that he threaded to Juwan Winfrey late for the two-point conversion. Also that throw uh, down the left side to Trinity Benson. There was about five different plays, and maybe in the next day or two I can do like a film breakdown on it or something, or maybe one of the other Mile High Huddle guys have something cooking on it. But there were five, six throws in that game where I was just like, dang, dude, I can see why so many NFL teams were intrigued by Drew Locke, but at the same time, because of some of the you know boomer bust fears with regard to his particular skill set, I can understand also the, the same reasons that some of those teams who you thought when the Broncos traded back and then took no offense, some of these other teams you thought might take Drew Locke, why they didn't. 
And let's not forget, he's operating behind the second and third team offensive lines, which are really, put bluntly, horrible. They're inconsistent. They're allowing pressure inside and out. He's been running for his life, and he's been having to eat sacks. That's been the, the biggest downside of his game, Chad. He still has uh, some growing up to do to learn to when to get rid of the ball, when to take sacks, when to scramble. That will come to him. But I wish the Broncos would at least give him a shot with a better offensive line. I'd love to see Drew Locke get just one series or just a few plays with the first string line, the first string supporting cast. I just want to see what he can do in that situation. But for him to overcome his his first week and all the pressure on him to grow up the second week behind literally a swinging gate for an offensive line, I thought that was even more impressive, Chad. Yeah. It was encouraging. I mean, you 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 basically saw about what you expected in that opener from him, but the he didn't just show progress, I think, in that second game. He he showed enough for me to be like, "Okay, you know what, This could, there's something here. Like John Elway, he, he might have found something here. we got to still give him time. Same thing applies, like as we talked about earlier with Noah Fant. Still, still got to give him time, but there's some there there, I believe. So let's uh, lastly turn the page here, Zach, and talk about Mr. Brett Rippon, who, of course, did not see any action in the second game. Now, preseason game one in the Hall of Fame game, he came in, I don't know, top of my head, I think it was top of the fourth quarter or maybe halfway through the fourth quarter, after Kevin Hogan and then after Drew Locke. Locke saw the biggest sample size of reps in that game, just like he did in the second game. And that kind of tells you also what the way the Broncos are thinking right now. But Rippon came in and the Broncos were trailing. And, you know, he he showed some poise. I'll give him that. That throw to Jawan Winfrey wasn't a great throw. And thank goodness for the playmaking ability of his receiver to be able to track that ball in the air and still come down with it, get both feet in and just the body control, the presence of mind that he showed there, and just the that clutch gene that you talk about, Zach, that Winfrey showed really bailed Mr. Rippon out. But, you know, in his first exposure, his first NFL game operating in a completely new environment on a new Broncos team, the former Boise State Bronco, I was at least encouraged to see that from him. But this, this is another example of why going into now what's going to be the Broncos' third preseason game, the less reps you can that you have to give Kevin Hogan – the better it's going to not only be for Drew Locke, but especially Brett Rippon, who, similarly to, to Locke, is a rookie and needs as many reps as possible in live bullet situations against outside competition so that the Broncos coaches and front office have a sample size by which to evaluate in terms of, you know, can we, should we try and fit him onto the 53? You know, can we get away with trying to stash him on the practice squad? You know, they need that sample size to make that decision. Exactly. And, you know, on that drive alone, he kind of showed the type of quarterback he is. That ball to Winfrey took about 10 minutes to get there, Chad. But he has that heady nature. He's kind of like a Trevor Simeon. Not an overly strong arm, just a smarter quarterback. Uh, has those intangibles you look for. A good teammate, good uh, you know, command of the huddle. He's never going to be a starter, but if they can develop that long-term backup, that Chase Daniel to have on the roster, that's invaluable. And I'm absolutely in agreement with you. Why give any reps to Kevin Hogan at this point when Rippon came in in his first game and looked just as poised and just as comfortable as Hogan, who's on his whatever team now, his fourth different team. So you have that guy. You have a Kevin Hogan on the roster and Brett Rippon. You have the the president, Joe Flacco, and you have the future in Drew Locke. Why they still have Hogan around, just take away reps, is beyond me. It's going to be fun to see how this quarterback room shakes out. I mean, the writing's on the wall for Kevin Hogan, but I'm excited about Drew Locke. I hope the fans are too. And even Brett Rippon, I'm excited to see that you know, he, he needed some help from his teammates, but 
when a play had to be made in the fourth quarter and a drive had to be orchestrated, you know, he was able to to lead that from the quarterback position under center. So I think the Broncos, if you compare it to last year where you had a, you know, lingering bust caliber first rounder and Paxton Lynch still on the roster at this time last year, you had Chad Kelly giving some excitement and some hope to the fans and the front office, frankly, and a very fair to middling Case Keenum. I think it's safe to say at this point the Broncos, in just terms of like potential and, and giving the fan base something to hope for, this is a unit overall that has taken a quantum leap forward in terms of just being, you know, there's there's some, it feels like there's some competency and some talent there and guys who love football, guys who know what it means to be an NFL quarterback, even the young guys in, in Drew Locke and Brett Rippon. They are no Paxton Lynch, who showed immense immaturity. They are no Chad Kelly, who also showed immense immaturity. This feels like they've got a good room brewing here. And what I like is they're not just slapping another Band-Aid on with Joe Flacco. They prepared for the future by drafting Drew Locke, who has franchise quarterback potential, frankly. And then you have Brett Rippon, who you never know. I mean, look at Simeon. I hate to bring that example up again, but as a 2016 starter, I don't think anyone saw that production coming from him. They almost made the playoffs with him as quarterback. So you have two young guys who you can develop. You have an offensive coordinator known for developing quarterbacks. That's what I like about Elway. Forward-thinking long-term, not just this year, win-now, short term he's executing he's running the team like he's going to be around for longer the next couple years when his contract expires he's making moves that would think that he's going to set the Broncos up for sustained success which is all any Broncos fan should want amen to that brother well hey you guys that's going to do it for today's episode of the huddle up podcast I got to jump off here a little bit earlier maybe than usual I got a scrimmage game to go to for one of my boys playing football so Got to jump off now, but make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter at KelbermanNFL. Myself, at Chad N. Jensen. For those of you who want to get in on the VIP mailbag, right now there's no VIP, but every one of you are VIPs in mine and Zach's eyes. So here's how you get in on that. If you're on Twitter, you can tweet us questions to either of our personal accounts or to at HuddleUpPod. If you're on YouTube, Go to the community tab on the Mile High Huddle channel. Click on the, the community tab, and you'll see the post that's calling out for questions for this week. Fire away. So far, we've been able to fit every question in. We've not had to miss or pass on any question thus far. But as always, the bigger this thing grows, you know, it's, it's going to be a first-come, first-served basis. So get your questions in now to guarantee that we're able to address them on the show on Friday. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.